This program is sponsored by Proponacy, where I'm the president and CEO. Proponacy is the Greek word for coaching. We provide SaaS technology to centers like yours. Most contact centers struggle with their people, whether it be overcoming monotony, attrition, or getting superior performance. Our solution makes it easier and cost-effective to get even more than you could possibly have expected from your front line. The result is loyal customers, engaged employees, and winning, provable, profitable results. You can reach us at Proponacy.com. You are being forwarded to the contact center code. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Have you heard it before? I'm going to give you a moment to think about it. Man, I hope you know where this comes from. This is the Declaration of Independence. And of course, for you Bible believers, John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, today we're going to talk about truth. We're actually going to talk about truths. I want to talk to you about the 10 truths of sales and service, and I'm not going to hide them from you. I'm going to tell you what all 10 are, and then we're going to walk through them one at a time. So here we go. Here are the 10 truths of sales and service. Number one, it's usually a trust problem. Number two, you only get what you pay for. Number three, the key to sales and service is communication, communication, and communication. Number four, there are two new hire classes in every organization, the one you pay for and the one employees give each other. Number five, companies rot from the top down. Number six, bad sales and service habits on the outside are learned on the inside. Number truth, number seven, customers are like elephants. They don't forget. Number eight, in sales, it's not why you lost that counts the most. It's when. Number nine, if you leave a space, someone or something will fill it. And number 10, Nike was wrong. Losers just do it. Winners do it right. Well, there you go. I've told you all 10. I guess you could sign off right now if you wanted to, but man, I hope you stick around. Let's walk through each one of them and talk in a little bit more detail about these truths and what they mean. The number one truth may be the most important one, and that is is that it's usually a trust problem. I probably could have told you that it's always a trust problem. Almost every single problem that we have in the contact center and in business in general is related to trust. And that's because there's There's so much requirements to build trust in almost every area of a contact center relationship. We've got to have trust between the manager and the employee. We have to have trust between the C-level and the frontline supervisor. We have to have trust between the customer and the employee. We have to have trust between the technology and the employee and workforce management and the employee and the manager. It goes on and on. There's so many different relationships that we have that have to have trust And our organization is permeated with trust questions, right? Do they have my back if I get in trouble with a customer? Is the technology that I'm using going to fail me again? Is the sales compensation plan fair or set up to make us fail? Does my manager have my best interest in mind? If you've done or listened to any of my podcasts, you've heard that before. Is all of this technology designed to find me doing something right 
or something wrong. And let's not lose sight of the fact of the direct manager in this process, whether it's your direct manager or the people that are reporting to you. Because quite simply, if you don't trust me, I sure won't trust you. Whenever you have a problem in the contact center, always take a closer look at trust because it all starts with trust. And I promise you, I will do another podcast on trust alone. So let's go to number two. You only get what you pay for. Um, Notice that I use the word only. The reason is that most people don't get it, right? You can't pay dirt, invest no money in training, recognition, supervisors, quality, workforce management, and administrative support, treat everyone lousy, and expect great customer experience. A better perspective might be that when you don't invest in sales and service appropriately, you get even less than what you pay for. Performance is even poorer. We have a real conundrum, which, which I know you all know, and that is, is that it, it's very hard and companies are afraid to invest when there's such high turnover. And we've talked before about the fact we have a tendency to believe that we're renting these people because our turnover is so high. So as a result of that, we, don't, we, don't, we create a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We don't want to invest in the employees because they're soon going to leave, yet we're unhappy with what they do for us because they don't do a good job. So we don't pay them enough money. They leave. We bring more people in and it just goes round and round and round. And the reality is, is that money doesn't solve all problems. I mean, let's be clear. It it doesn't solve all problems. I'm not saying, hey, we need to have the most expensive people that you pay for. Um, We've seen some of the worst organizations that overpay people, right? I thought Stephen Covey in his book, The Eighth Habit, said it really, really well. He says that organizations consider land and material and technology assets, yet they consider their people liabilities. Well, the reality is, is that our people should be the most important asset that we have because they're the ones that take care of our most valuable asset, which is our customers. Put those together and you'll get something that works. If you're reluctant in your organization to invest in people, then at least invest in the processes and operating system that the people use. Install the right way to lead, to coach, to run meetings, to measure performance metrics, build a winning culture, and no matter who comes in or out of your organization, they're going to be successful, right? And, you know, the, the, the getting what you pay for and, and trying to find that balance between the pressures that come from, from trying to make the numbers that you need to make, and, and there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that actually don't even have any responsibility. They, they can't even buy into it. I just want you to recognize that you do get what you pay for, And that certainly works with people and it works with technology and all the other things that you invest in. But you usually end up getting less in a contact center. All right, on to number three. The key to sales and service is communication, communication, and communication. Yes, I stole this from real estate, which is location, location, and location. Almost every organization has a problem with communication. As a matter of fact, I don't think we've ever run a survey that we didn't ask people to to measure and grade the different parts of the organization. And communication was always one of the one of the, it's always the worst performer. It's always the one that people say that there that there's not enough. And a sales and service organization is particularly susceptible to poor vertical communications, and that is because. Um, the, the top usually does a poor job of telling the front line what is happening, where they're going, and then the front not communicating or not being allowed to communicate up to the organization what's going on. So you, you end up with this, with this problem going up and down. And of course, it manifests, manifests itself even more depending on what your supervisor to agent ratio is, right? So, so obviously, the higher the supervisor to agent ratio, the more communication that you need to have. 
This puts much more pressure on one-on-ones as well as you simply walking the rows and, and talking to them. You have to over-communicate in a sales and service organization. You have to tell them everything. You have to tell them what's going to happen, what's happening, and you also have to tell them what's happened, right? So gossip in large organizations usually moves horizontally, right? There are two types of gossip. One is about the com- is one is when it's about the company, right? So we can stop this one by superior communications, right? We need to make sure that we're communicating as often as we can on what's going on. And the more that you can communicate uh, downward about the company, the more successful you'll be. The second type of gossip that you've got is just the same drivel that everyone else has, which is related to celebrities, current events. You can't stop it, and it's really not worth trying. But if you can keep your people focused and structured and and attentive to the work that they've got, then then you'll have less of that because they'll have less time from which to do it, right? So your security in trying to overcome this communication comes from your one-on-ones, your team meetings, your conference calls, your escalations, your huddles, and your coaching sessions. It's here that you're going to make a difference, right? Don't lose sight of the fact that if you're in a contact center business, you are a professional communicator. You're a professional communicator on the front lines. You certainly better be a professional communicator as a supervisor. And I hope that if you're leading the organization, you're a professional communicator. So if you can get the frequency going, you should be able to figure out how to do the communication because after all, we're all professionals. All right. Number four, there are two new hires in every organization, the one you pay for and the one employees give each other. This one is pretty easy. We all know it's happening, right? We spend significant money building a new hire program to get our employees off on the right foot. They go through the new hire class we paid for only to get retrained by their peers on the floor. The conversations go on every day. I know that's what they told you, but this is what's really happening. I know training said to use this screen, but all the folks that have been around for a while use this old one. They may say they will let you go, but I've been here for three years and they hardly ever fire anyone. The way to go is FMLA. Let me tell you how it works. If you get vacation hours, burn them right away. Organizations that struggle with new hire classes usually have a culture that is not working for them. Everyone has a culture and it's just a matter of whether you understand it and whether it's working for you or working against you, right? So you know, are, are you the kind of organization that tells it like it is or like you hope it might be? Um, have you sat in a new hire class recently? You'll know you're running a great organization when the, the gossip and the, the real set of rules matches very closely to what your new hire classes are doing. If you see any sort of a disconnection between those, it's a great thing to fix. Number five, companies rot from the top down. Companies like Enron, Arthur Anderson, governments, presidential uh, uh, administrations, Abu, Abu Ghraib prisons, churches, sports teams, schools, families, teams, departments, and contact centers. Where the head goes, the body will follow. We talk a lot about the fact that your very worst employee will talk to more customers today than your most highfalutin marketing executive um, will do. But a leader at the top of an organization that is that that rots is much, far more da- dangerous to the company when they go bad. Um, notice that that I use the word rot. The companies rot from the top down. I didn't say explode. Most times it's a really nice slow fade. It's very very important that leadership 
and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you as leadership, whether you're running the organization, whether you're leading the contact center, or whether you're a supervisor in the contact center, your leadership, the way that you communicate affects everyone else. If you come in with a bad attitude that permeates its way down, if you're a liar or a cheater, your people are going to lie or cheat. If you're a gossip, your people are going to gossip. If you treat them unfairly, they're going to treat your they're going to treat your customers unfairly. So it really it really is affected. Um, if 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 you're in charge, right? These are changes that you can make because you're affecting a larger group of people. If you're if you're not in charge, you're not the problem. Be a great leader anywhere. You have no excuse. So just because you have a lousy boss doesn't mean that you have to be lousy. Um, you can break that. You can break the cycle. You can break the chain, right? And just remember, if you're a leader, it, it, it's always your fault. That's why they say it's lonely at the top. Number six: bad sales and service on the outside are learned on the inside. If you treat employees like garbage, they'll learn to treat your customers the same way. If you ignore employees, they'll ignore your customers. If you're short with your employees under pressure, they'll be short with your customers under stress. It happens every time, and it happens all over the place, and it happens too much of the time. You see, it's really obvious, yet it it seems that most organizations don't really allow it to, to sink in. I mean, I think it comes back to this high turnover, low pay, repetitive process, or maybe sometimes the sheer size of organizations or agent to supervisory ratios. But we do have a tendency sometimes to treat the contact center as kind of the ugly stepchild. With that can comes poor performance, poor customer experience, poor results. You know, and so if, if, if bad habits can be learned on the inside and, and learned on the inside and used on the outside, right? or bad habits, let me rephrase that, obviously, if bad habits can be learned on the inside and used on the outside, that means that good habits can be learned on the inside and used on the outside. When we model good habits, our frontline uses them. So model good habits, model great habits. And you've heard me say this before if you've listened to the other podcasts. If you model the correct way to answer the phone with energy, your reps will. If you model, if you model being able to acknowledge and return it to a business or personal way, your frontline reps will do. If you model how you deal with stress, if you model being on time, running to meetings, it's something that works for your employees as well. So never lose sight of the fact that, that how we model things and what we teach people on the inside is how they're going to treat people on the outside. Number seven, customers like elephants, they don't forget. They really don't ever forget. They remember everything. Good, bad, slow, fast, too hot, too cold, missing parts, broken parts, superior service, rude, professional, courteous, uninterested, smart, stupid. Um, Unfortunately, if you've been in business long enough, you're going to run into every single one of these. With adversity in a client relationship, it's all about how you handle it and recover that really counts. Customers remember usually the last thing that you did. That is their measurement of how you're presently doing. You've heard marital experts, um, you know, they, they tell husbands, right, that, you know, that every, every time you do something nice, you get one point. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is, is that clock resets itself every night at midnight. And of course, that goes for wives to husbands as well. But when the, the, the clock resets, the same things happen to your customers in some way, right? You score points. Um, that's great. And then the customer remembers that from your last experience, but sometimes you don't score points, right? Sometimes you mess up, but the follow-up phone call, the, um, the, the closing of the loop, the, the last gesture sometimes often is the one that really counts. 
history, good or bad, is always going to be carried forward. Um, it's why every transaction is so critical. They will never forget, but that doesn't mean that they won't buy from you again. It only means that you have a history. So knowing that the customer will never forget, when you do great things and your great things outnumber the poor things, it makes a difference. Number seven, in sales, it's not why you lost accounts the most, it's when. I'm not sure how many of you are involved in sales or even are connected to sales, but oftentimes when you talk to a sales organization, the salespeople have a lot of excuses as to why things don't work, right? You know, customer didn't like the price, you know, the product didn't work as well, our competitor uh, did something differently than we did, and they're mostly trying to figure out why they lost. The most important thing that you can figure out is when you lost. When did you lose the customer? When did, when, did, when did we lose them? When did they decide to go to another vendor? When did they decide to quit listening to us? When did we begin to waste our time? Because obviously that's what happens. If we can figure out when we lose in a sales environment, then we can go back and fix that earlier in the process and either reduce the amount of time that we spent wasting our time because they weren't going to buy anyway. Uh, you know, a lot of clients will look at qualifying. The better that they can qualify helps them to figure out when they're going to lose a customer. So um, the truth eight is in sales, it's not why you lost that counts the most, it's when. Truth number nine, if you leave a space, someone or something will fill it. Pastor my church made a really interesting comment. And he said that every, ma- every day men should compliment their wives. This works the other way as well, wives. Uh, complimenting their husbands. The reason is, is that if you don't tell, if you don't compliment them, someone else will. If your spouse meets someone who tells her she looks nice, one of the two thoughts go through her mind. One might be, that's nice. My husband told me that this morning. The second might be, no one has told me that. That person just made me feel good. If you leave a space, someone or something might fill it in your personal life. Same is true in business, right? Communication, whether external or internal, it's always risky, not in a dangerous way, obviously. We always have the opportunity for something to go wrong. We can communicate the wrong message, alienate people, anger anger people, or cause a myriad of other outcomes. This happens all the time. We also need to be aware that we can equally cause damage when we do not communicate, when we leave a space. This is when something should have been said or communicated and the company did not respond or take action. We see this in the service environment when we don't follow up with a customer contact or fail to discuss a change in the organization internally or leave a rumor or a problem unaddressed. Whenever we leave a space, we create a void and that void can be filled by gossip, can be filled by a competitor, can be filled by a lawsuit, can be filled by some sort of incorrect a- action, can be, can be filled with a hurt feeling. Quite often, we're going to do more harm than good when we don't communicate. Right? We've got to be on purpose, uh, on purpose about making sure we fill the space both internally and externally. Because when we do that, we avoid the ripple effect that happens when we create a space that somebody else can, can get involved in. If you're in the consulting world, they would talk about gaps, where our, our intentions, our actions you know, fall short of our expectations and plan or plans. So look for the gaps, the space or gaps in, in your sales and service organization where you, where, where you leave a space where somebody can fill it. And number 10, Nike was wrong. Losers just do it. Winners do it right. I mean, who am I to argue with, you know, a $100 million advertising campaign? They're Nike after all. But in sales and service, there's a tendency to participate or survive rather than pursue excellence and flourish. Doing it right may sound obvious, but often we miss it. Many organizations have a just do it kind of attitude. Doesn't mean they're careless, 
lack focus or not professional, it means that they're surviving rather than trying to pursue excellence. And when we pursue excellence, when we pursue doing it right, we create the kind of environment that allows us to be able to recreate it again. Doing it right obviously means having a clear plan or strategy, installing an operating system, pursuing excellence, measuring the results, making changes, and starting the process all over again. When we pursue excellence, we do it right. So how to measure? Here's some examples. Is my organization on purpose about achieving excellence or simply results? In other words, how we did it, not just did we succeed. Do we measure the accomplishments that lead to the results? Example would be number of cold calls made in a sales environment rather than just the end sales numbers. Do we have a plan and an operating system for customers and employees? Is it in writing? Are we serious about competing for employees? Do we pursue customer experience and synchronize that with our sales and service offerings? Do we invest in our frontline management team? You need lots of yeses in order to be going in the right direction. And any no's in that list obviously means there's work to be done. So those are the 10 sales and service truths. I'm not going to run over them again because you can go back to this podcast and listen to them on the front end. It's great to talk to you today. I hope you will pursue these truths, put them to use in your organization. Be a great leader. Be somebody that inspires other people. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. You are being forwarded to the Contact Center Coach.